0: And I got this like really bad feeling that we might purchase this and it might not be able to give our past investors the returns that we were projecting. We backed out and we couldn't get our earnest money back. So we actually lost over a half a million dollars. Now, with the settlement, we lost slightly less than a half a million dollars on that property. And so that was tough and it hurt. But At the same time, the lesson that the listener can get is that it's going to be more important for them to play this business for a 30-year business than than a get-rich-quick business. And maybe we would have had a half a million dollars more in the bank account today if we would have closed it, but we would have also probably put our past investors at deep risk and we wouldn't have been able to explain it to them why we did that, because it would have only been selfish reasons. Welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings, the number one show about growing your family's wealth with apartment building investments. Now, here's your host, Mark
1: Allen Kenny. Hey everybody! Welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings. My name is Mark Allen Kenny. Our guest today is Adam Adams. How you doing today, Adam? Fantastic! Thank you. Awesome, thank you for being here. Adam started investing in real estate in 2005 after repositioning his first apartment community from a valuation of two million to four million as property manager. Adam bought his first multi-family apartment building. Since then, Adam has now ownership in over 54 million in apartment communities. Adam is the organizer of Colorado's most active real estate group and he hosts the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Adam, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Could you tell the listeners just a little bit more about your background and how you got started? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hey, where did you get that bio? Because I need to update it because it we really moved it from a 1 million to a 2 million. I must have written it wrong. So I need to update that bio. I think it was on the on the website. Just on our web. <laughs> okay. we. I will go there and I'll fix it. Um, you want me to so, reread it? No, 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 no. It's all good. So no, it doesn't it doesn't matter. But the the truth about it is the guy bought it for 1,050,000 and I was the property manager and he sold it for 2 million one year later and so he doubled his money, he made a million dollars and I think what it was is I thought that it went from 2 to 4 and I put it up there once and I I thought that I changed it, but I'm glad that I'm glad that you mentioned that it's important to always make sure that the listener knows, you know, what's really, really happening. And it went from one to two, which is still impressive. It still doubled its uh, value. Other than that, it's it's also pretty old because instead of 54 million, I'm now partnered in 100 million. And randomly enough, I haven't really hosted that meetup group during COVID. So, it's been like six months since I've even-
1: so that's the most outdated bio I've probably ever read.
0: <laughs> no, but, but, but it's totally fine. It's totally fine. So I still have the meetup and it's still very famous meetup. I actually flew out to meetup headquarters to do a, a keynote presentation. What they did is they flew out their top 150 meetup organizers from around the world. So it was kind of cool to meet like meetup organizers from so many countries. What was really cool is they paid for everything. Even and I have expensive taste when it comes to wine. And I, it, they didn't even care. So like I they, I, I, flew out on their dime. I, I stayed at a nice hotel on their dime and everything I ate was on their dime. What was kind of cool is I got to meet with a bunch of, of the, uh, at the sixth floor at meetup headquarters, they have all of their engineers. And so I got to ask them a bunch of questions like why is my meetup so famous? What did I do differently? Why, why? there are some people with bigger meetups and you didn't ask them to speak. Why, why am I one of the keynote speakers? I learned a tons. I don't know if we'll get onto it on this episode or we'll talk about it some other time, but meetups have been something that I've really thoroughly enjoyed. I've loved it because I love people. I love connecting with people and that allows me to be able to do that. Plus the first $4.2 million that my company raised that I raised for our deals came from that little meetup, a little lunch club if you would believe it, we, we just met at lunch once a week on Thursdays. And that's where I raised $4.2 million. I, I still can, can pinpoint that, which is kind of exciting because I, I know that for the listener, regardless of what they're doing, if they want to buy giant apartment buildings, if that's their goal, then there's a few tricks and hacks that, that they can do. And one of them is just thought leadership, hosting a podcast or hosting a meetup, writing a book, Whatever it is, but thought leadership, I would have never grown to where I have grown without it for sure sure
1: sure. that's awesome so you did the meetup I'm, I'm guessing it was based on real estate investing and and you know you're connecting with investors and raised 4.2 million is so that first deal were you the operator on on that first uh transaction or what what did that first deal look like
0: the first syndication we're the only operators this is not the case for most people and i don't even know if i suggest it but we bought we bought a 16 unit apartment community for $1.2 million in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And it was an eight cap, which is exactly what we were looking for at the time in an area that's probably seven and a half cap. So we got a bit of a deal on it. And so that first one, we were the only sponsor. Like we, it was just me and my, my little team. There was only four of us back then, now 13. But me and my little team purchased this 16 unit And then my business partner became the asset manager and we actually hired, and this was a bad idea. This is why I'm mentioning it. So I'm saying, we did it, we messed up, don't do this. We actually just left the property manager that was already managing it and was a direct employee of the previous owner. We left her in place. We just thought, oh, that's great. She already knows the property. We don't have to hire anyone. That was a huge mistake. There, there was a lot bad that happened because we just left her. We should What we should have done is, is found another a big team that does property management regardless of the cost because she was only like a very small salary, like maybe three grand a month or something. It was very affordable compared to like what you would have if you had, it's a lot less than 10% of rent. So let's just say that. And plus all the fees. And so we just thought that that was gonna be the best way. I highly recommend that that's not what people do. So learn from my mistakes, the two things. Number one, when you ever buy an apartment community, you should have already hired your, your property management company before you ever started looking because you should never look unless you have a good team that can execute a business plan. So we did it backwards. That was a huge mistake. And the second big mistake is that we were basically the blind leading the blind. Now I say that loosely because I've been in, in real estate since... 2005 I've been owning real estate myself since I was in college and when I say that I mean investment real estate not just a personal home right and in 2007 I, I managed that apartment community turned it from a 1 million fifty thousand dollar value to a two million dollar value and he sold it he made a million bucks and it was just within a year and then I started managing my own properties and I did I've done flips I've done a lot of things like Yes, I've been in the business of real estate for a very long time. But it was the blind leading the blind because we had never syndicated a a large apartment community. The biggest we had done before that was a fiveplex. I had done fiveplex, a couple fourplexes, and a couple threeplexes before that day. And they they aren't all considered equal. This isn't even as big as I want your listener to go. I want your listener to go to giant apartments, right? Not to micro apartments, not to a 16 unit. And the point is that I had never syndicated a deal. And when you get that big, there's a few things that you want to watch out for. One of the issues that we had is that we didn't know or understand that there was going to be prepaid insurance. I've never prepaid insurance. I've, I've always done either you pay every six months, or you just pay monthly. Like you might pay now for six months, Or you just pay every single month. That's that's all I had experienced up until this day. And they wanted us to after we had we were about to close. They wanted us to put in fifteen months of prepaid insurance because this was like our first deal that size and our first deal in that market. Sorry, this
1: was a lender requirement. Yeah. 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 Uh, Okay.
0: Yep. Or maybe it was the insurance requirement. I, I'm not sure. Um, Got it. You'll have to ask my business partner who literally is the one who was talking to them. But it was a requirement nonetheless. And it was very expensive compared to what we were budgeting for. And we had already raised all the money. but So, this had to come out of our own pockets. And so, we said, okay, we'll, we'll write that check. And then another flag came up. Uh, we had to have the utility company wanted to have a utility deposit. And this is not a small utility deposit for a big property like that. And so that was another, I, I think we ended up thinking we were going to make like $36,000 as an acquisition fee. This means like it was a 3% of the 1.2 that we were purchasing. That was going to come directly to our company. Now, instead of that, we've, we had to pay for the prepaid insurance. We had to pay for the uh, the utility deposit and there was, and then the lender said, whoa, 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 you guys aren't putting money in. And we thought the best part of syndication was we didn't have to use our own money. So the lender's like, you're not putting your own money in. So we ended up losing the acquisition fee or I guess donate, putting it into the property. And then my business partner who had some capital, he actually had to pay for the other two things. And so like, just so we could close. And so it was, kind of, it was kind of interesting. What I recommend is the opposite of that to the listener. I want you to go directly to Giant Apartments and I want you to partner with somebody who has experience. I want you to leverage other people's experience, OPE and OPT, other people's time. I want you to partner with people that have been there and done that before so that they already know all of those expenses that are gonna come up. Nothing's gonna be a hit and got you. They're gonna be able to know how to talk to the lender and about these requirements. If you're gonna have to put in your own money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only way you're gonna do that, it's not just from having like a coach or a mentor. You can't get this just from having a coach or a mentor. Most of them don't, don't share this. It, in fact, ours that we spent $40,000 for didn't share this with us either. And so basically, all I'm saying is when you do your first deal, you, you, I, if you're listening to Adam Adams, you must partner with somebody who's been there and done that before. And I'm, it's, not a, it's not a thing like partner with me. I don't even want partners. I'm not even looking for partners right now. But there are a lot of people that have been there and done that before and they're looking for partners. They want you to bring them a deal. They want you to help them raise money. They want you to help them with on the asset management flying out there because, man, it gets stressful when you have something hits the fan and all of a sudden you have to fly out because most of us are not doing this in our backyard and like it you it can't be you because on this emergency it's your son's birthday party or on that emergency it's in the middle of of you flying out on a vacation or something where you just cannot make it that happens sometimes and so what's really good is just having other people on the team especially that that have been there before that can fly out there you can trade and the risk is diversified etc so Yeah. Interesting. My first one was a 16 unit, but the first one for you, the listener should be hundred plus.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So after that first deal, after that 16 unit, was that, did your strategy change? I mean, how did you quickly get to a hundred million in assets? I mean, from there, did you just decide to start partnering with other people?
0: Yes. The very next one that we did, we co-partnered with somebody. And so what, what it was is I found the deal and then I, Brought it to my underwriter in in our team. And I said, tell us what you think of this. He underwrote it very conservatively. And then at the coaching program that we were doing, we reached out and we said, we need somebody to help sponsor this because it was like a $4.5 million. We were able to qualify easily for like the $1 million, the 1.2, but like this $4.5 million property or 4.6, whatever it was, We still own it just can't remember the exact price it was like 4.5 when we purchased it we couldn't qualify alone and so we we called up our our coach our mentor we need somebody like this we want help managing it we want help closing it we want help raising money and so i think that the the amount that we raised was somewhere uh 1.9 ish just under two million dollars And we raised about half of that and the CoGP raised about half of that. They had done a lot more deals than us, but we added value to them because we found the actual deal. It still wasn't 100 units yet. This one was 86 units in Branson, Missouri. And one of the lessons that we learned is now we're moving closer to home, number one, because trying to get out to Bridgeport, Connecticut, the first one that I mentioned, trying to get out to Bridgeport, Connecticut, like you can maybe fly to Manhattan or a couple other places and then take like over an hour train ride to there. Or you need to take like double double planes to get to like this micro airport. And it just took so much time and effort and like you couldn't get there and back in a day. So, the next one that we bought in Branson, Missouri, like there is a way to fly into Springfield, drive down, fly back out. You can get home back and forth in, in literally one day or you could drive out there in like 12 hours. So, That was a huge benefit to just have it a bit closer. It was 86 units and it was a property that used to be a hotel, but in 2004, I believe, they converted it to apartment communities. And Branson, Missouri is mostly a tourist town. And so they're trying to stop having people be able to convert these old hotels into apartment communities. The cities doesn't want that, but it's still extremely prohibitive to purchase land and build because the, the cap rates wouldn't make hit that metric. It wouldn't make sense right now because people couldn't afford it, etc. Just because, So we thought this was awesome. We're already 100% occupied. The whole city's basically 100% occupied and it's prohibitive to build more and the city's actually not letting hotels convert like this anymore. And so we felt it was great and it had been great and amazing up until about the last quarter of 2020 because it's a more of a tourist place. It got really tough for us to hit the same metrics. So today it's I think it's like 92% occupied instead of 100 and it's it does, doesn't have a lot of value add potential we bought it at a place where it was already a B asset. It didn't need anything, it was just cash flowing. So there's yield play and value play. Value play is what most people think is sexy today. They want the value play. That basically means it's a fix and flip, but on a giant apartment. And for us, we, we were like, this is awesome. It's already an eight cap, it's already a, a yield play, which means we don't have to do any type of work, it's just gonna keep cash flowing. And it worked like that with COVID. It was perfect for the first like six months of COVID. And then for the last like three months of COVID, it got a little bit challenging. We're, I, I feel really confident we're still going to over hit. We're going more to than, more than hit what we projected on that because we were very conservative. But, there, you know, we, COVID did affect us. Like it has so many people. I hear a lot of people that have really lost their properties, lost the trust of their past investors because they're unable to make distributions. So it's, I think we're, knock on wood, we're in a pretty good position, but that was the second one and it only had one other GP and we needed him to for the balance sheet and we needed him for the other experience because the lender wanted somebody with more experience than us and the lender wanted somebody with a balance sheet. And we're really grateful that we did that. We, we did that t- two other times where we partner with other teams. One of them is a co-GP where the other team is the main sponsor. We, we were kind of in the back and the other one's more similar to what we had done before. So that's kind of what that looks like. And then I've passively invested in a few deals as well. So all in all with the three pass investments and the four that we are on the general partnership for, it's a little over a hundred million dollars value, but that's with the passive as well.
1: Sure, sure. That's awesome. Well, congrats, man. That's that's quite a journey. I'd love to kind of dive into the marketing side of things. I know you're well known in the industry for being a, a, an expert at marketing and social media. And I'd love to just t- chat about that for a little bit. Why, why is that so important these days as a syndicator?
0: I love the question because it's very insightful, Mark. A lot of people don't even consider that. I would say there's people... Joining these coaching programs, like I told you, we we paid forty grand for. There's people ju- doing that and spending forty thousand dollars and learning how to underwrite. Like th- that's what they learn is they learn how to underwrite. They learn that they're supposed to call brokers. They literally don't know how to call brokers. They've just learned that they're supposed to, and so they do it. And it's and it's and it gets really challenging for them. Is interesting because brokers are smart people. They don't want to give they don't wanna give deal to just anyone. They've got their tried and true people that they know can close. That's who they're gonna give the deal to. They wanna make sure that you've got three things set up before they even start handing you deals. And this is gonna be valuable for the listener. These three things that you need to have ready to go before you ever call a broker is A, the property management company, B, the money, and C, the team you literally will not get this sales tactic that people are learning from some of these places. The people on my team collectively own like 3,000 doors and that doesn't work with the smart brokers. They've heard that so many times. All they wanna know is, do you have the money? Do you have the, the property management team in place? And do you have the, the actual team in place? And so with that, those are the three things then then you can call the brokers and say we've got the money not we're, we're part of a network of people where we could probably raise the money maybe I hope. No 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 you, you literally already can say, look we, we have we have over three million pre-committed and ready to go and the raise for this property is 1.5 million. So that is not a problem at all. And secondly, we've got, the, we've got my business partners and I have the net worth and liquidity that is necessary and experience is necessary to be able to close on the loan and be taken seriously. And third, we know exactly who we want to manage the property. It's XYZ property management company. They're the best in there. We vetted every single company and we've chosen them because XYZ. And that now you have a broker that's going to actually send you deals. So that, that part is critically important. When you talk about the thought leadership platform, when you talk about maybe marketing and all that, that part's critical because I don't think you'll be able to raise money without it. So, it's the part that comes before you can actually raise the money. Sure, you can you can maybe go to lots of meetups and bother a lot of people and like try to get them on your list. But what's easier is if you have a platform where they come to you And that's exactly what happened with my meetup group. That's exactly what happens when I run a podcast. And so it's critically important if you want to raise unlimited amounts of capital to be out in front of past investors so that they beg you to take their money instead of you trying to push them. And I could share a quick story if we have time. I don't know how much time we have.
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: All right, this story is just about it's just about push pull. It's literally focused on how to get the most results and it stems from, you know, the 1800s and the early 1900s where the only way that you were going to get somebody to believe you is if you talked louder than them, if you sounded more educated than them, if you if you were more suave than they are. And so really what ended up happening is it was really easy for door-to-door salespeople back then to go door-to-door and just be a little bit more suave and, and persistent and and just basically call the sale. Just say, hey, you've, you've got to do this or else you're dumb. Because that worked in 1800s and 1900s. When you were a pushy salesperson, that's how you got deals back then. But what's kind of interesting is over time, we have evolved and us as human beings are now polar opposites. Even when we want to buy a pair of pants and we go to Gap or Buckle or wherever we go to buy our pants, we walk in and the person says, how can I help you today? And we say, no thanks, just looking. I don't want help. Don't push me because we are tired of it. We're fed up with it. And human beings have learned a little bit different. And so, it needs to be a different conversation. Rather than us being those pushy salespeople, we need to be going to we need to be going places where they're coming to us. We need to have a podcast. We need to have a meetup group, and then they come to us. And instead of us pushing, 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 or trying to convince people that investing in apartments is the best way to go or whatever, we just are a lighthouse. We just stand there, and we are who we are. We don't push anyone. We just are the example, the lighthouse that brings people to us. And we need to find a way to not be like those 1900s pushy salespeople and to just let people feel comfortable to talk to us. Because in these days, everybody wants to buy, everybody wants to buy, but nobody wants to be sold. And I think of it like magnets. Think of it like magnets. It's like Back in the day, everybody was a south-facing magnet and the pushy salesperson was a north. And so, of course, it worked. But we've become the north-facing magnets where we're pushing. We don't want to be sold anymore. So, even when we walk at the used car sales place and they come to help us, we're like, go away. Like, just let me browse. I just want to browse. I don't want (laughs) to be sold. I don't want you to tell me anything because we're becoming the the north-facing magnet. We're being that pushy you know, how it'll repel if you have two Norths. So the since everybody else is obviously North now, we need to learn how to be the South facing salesperson where we pull them in to our world instead of trying to push them into anything. And that's exactly what a podcast or or a, a social, uh, some type of platform can do for us. It, we'll be able to finally raise that money because we have to raise the money before you ever start asking brokers to send you deals or else you're just going to lose. You're going to spin your wheels. And that's what's happening with a lot of people today.
1: It's that time of the show for a segment called Best Deal, Worst Deal, where we talk about real estate transactions that you've done in the past so that others can learn from your knowledge and expertise. So Adam, with that said, what's the best real estate deal
0: that you've done? Best real estate deal that I've ever done was just the first one. And I want to mention the first one. Technically I got a twelve thousand percent return on my money, which is awesome. But the reason why I say it was my best deal isn't because of how much I made. It's because it's what taught me that I could do this. Before that, you know, I was afraid. I didn't want I didn't want to be embarrassed or fail or whatever, but like I, I did a deal. Even though I only bought it for a hundred bucks and put in only a little bit of money into it, this cabin lot that I got on tax deed sale uh, ended up making more on that deal than I had ever made a single year in my life, and and it was the beginning that said this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Back in 2005, so that was definitely the best deal.
1: Yeah, I actually started in in raw land myself, so that's awesome. Oh, cool. What, What what would you say is the worst real estate deal that you've done?
0: Well. We have a deal that we lost money on, but we didn't close. It's a deal that we almost closed on, but we felt like COVID was going to hurt our past investors. The deal was a 250 unit apartment community in Oklahoma City. And that was our perfect target market. That's where exactly we wanted to look. And then in March, COVID started really coming out. And I remember I owned real estate in 2005, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. And so I remember pretty clearly that the crash of 2008 took a few years for the aftermath. And I got this like really bad feeling, this really bad taste, in my, this really bad feeling that we might purchase this and it might not be able to give our past investors the returns that we were projecting. And I want to be in this business forever. I want to be in in this business for the rest of my life. You know, thirty plus years. And because I want to be investing in apartment communities for the rest of my life, I think it's really important that we never make a mistake. Especially because we've all, I've only been a part of seven apartment communities so far. I just I need to make sure that the eighth one and the ninth one that they all work out. So the problem is that we we backed out and we couldn't get our earnest money back now we did do a settlement just recently where most of that money does go to the seller but we got a little bit and so that that's okay i wish it was more but the reason i say that that's the worst deal it's one that i'm proud of because it took a lot for me and my whole team to agree that it matters to us more, our 30 year projection, than just this acquisition fee that we were going to make. So we actually lost over a half a million dollars. Now, with the settlement, we lost slightly less than a half a million dollars on that property. And so that was tough and it hurt. But at the same time, the lesson that the listener can get is that it's going to be more important for them to play this business for a 30-year business than, than a get-rich-quick business. And sh- maybe we would have had a half a million dollars more in the bank account today if we would have closed it, but we would have also probably put our past investors at deep risk, and we wouldn't have been able to explain it to them why we did that because it would have only been selfish reasons. We would have had to justify it with selfish reasons. And so that that deal hurt, but I think it's also added a lot of credibility to the investors that were committed because of the reason we backed out.
1: Yeah, wow, that's, that's an incredible story. Have you learned anything from that moving forward as you kind of uh, analyze future deals and, and put uh, earnest money down on, on new projects?
0: Yeah, the main lesson that we learned was our contracts. The main thing that we learned was how we were going to use the contracts because our contract literally did not say an act of God or a force majeure. It didn't have those words, and many contracts do. So that was the first thing is for now on, we will always have that as part of the contract because the reason we backed out was because we were the v- values of the properties were going down because of COVID. There was a lot happening. And so we put that as the reason we were getting out, but it didn't go by, you know, we didn't we didn't win the most amount of money from that. So we actually lost our earnest money because, because we didn't have that clause. So the listener, uh, there you go. There's a half a million dollar piece of value for you. Make sure you have that in there. But also there's a lot of other parts of the contract that we learned that I would never have time to be able to express. The learning lesson out of that would be to work with a really good attorney, a real estate attorney, who's done this several times before, who probably has gray hair, who's probably been doing it for more than 30 years, because they're more likely to have seen all of the issues that can happen when, when you decide to back out of a contract or whatever. So, the point is, they're more expensive to hire those attorneys. Those contracts cost another extra thousand than hiring a a cheaper attorney or or several thousand different from just doing it yourself and thinking that you can get something off the internet. We learned the hard way, learn from our experience.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's super insightful. Thank you for sharing that. Adam, we're about out of time, unfortunately. Where where can others go to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Whether that's you know learning from your expertise on the operations syndication side, or even as a passive investor, you know learning about your deal flow, investing in your in your deals. Where can others connect with you?
0: Great. I would say go to Raising Money Mastermind if you want to raise more money. We have a coaching program slash mastermind group that has some really epic people in there that, that have raised $12 million, $13 million overnight and that own hundreds and hundreds of thousands, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for real estate. So, it's raisingmoneymastermind.com. If the person doesn't want to raise money, they want to invest money, they can just go to our website, realbluespruce.com, real like real estate, com, and click the button at the top. It just says Get on the list. That'll get them on our past investor list. And we promise to always do our best to protect your money, even if we have to lose money in doing so. So jump on that list. We haven't closed a deal in 18 months. And the main reason why is because we haven't found a deal that we know will work in 18 months because we're at the top of a market cycle. But when we close on deals, if you want to be invested with us, just go to realbluespruce.com and click the button, get on the list.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Adam, for sharing that. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, brother. Hey, everybody. It's Mark Allen Kenny. If you're interested in apartment building investments, schedule a call with me so we can have a chance to chat. My company is focused on growing your family's wealth with apartment building investments. So let's hop on a quick call and talk about your investment goals and see if we're a good fit. Find out more at
0: Stellar investment Group dot com.